out this morning. We're glad that you're here. I'm glad that I'm here as well. I didn't, I, well, I kind of expected last night that I would probably have to lead singing. So it wasn't a completely surprise, but anyway, I don't mind doing it, you know, now and then. But like I told Kirk, I can't do it for both services, so. Uh, anyway, our lesson for today continues our series on facing the future. And today's lesson is going to be primarily based out of Matthew 28. If you want to turn there and follow along with us, we're going to be going through the Great Commission. Um, but we're going to look at, look at it today from a standpoint of promises for the future. There are some promises that are made. And sometimes we don't always recognize these as promises. Uh, but they are made for us. They're made for our benefit and uh, it's good for us to recognize them as such. So we're looking today at the, the Great Commission, Promises for the Future. Though originally given to the apostles just before Jesus' ascension into heaven, the Great Commission holds the key to the future of the church. Promises made to his apostles are also made for us today as this commission is not given to just them, but it's also given to us as well. And today we're going to look at, at three different promises that are made in the Great Commission for all of us to go by. First of all, we see the promise of a standard for us to live by. We see a promise of a system for us to work by. We see the promise of success when these are fully employed. The only way for us to truly be successful as a congregation of the Lord's church is to work to fulfill the commission. Not only given to the apostles, but also given to all disciples of Christ. We know that today the apostles are no longer with us. They have all passed from this life. And in their passing, we carry on the commission that was originally given to them. And so we are to fulfill that commission. A congregation that fails to reach out to those in the world with the gospel cannot be successful and cannot be pleasing to God. And it may not be for, for reasons that, that we might think of, you know, it, whenever we look at our world, there are certain things that we may value. And in regard to the commission that is given to us, it's not about winning the most souls to Christ, but trying to win one more. It's not about having the, the most programs or the largest numbers in attendance. It's not about having the, the biggest and the most beautiful buildings to worship in. That's not what the church is all about. It's about us as Christians. It's about us devoting time and ability to the service of the Lord. And so we have this commission that is given to us and because we want to be pleasing to Him, we carry out the commission that He has given. Our lesson objectives for this morning are first of all to learn by looking at God's Word what God's desire for His children is. Well, what is God's desire for the church? What does He want to see us do? What does He want to see us become? And secondly, to apply these principles to our lives 
and service of Almighty God. We begin by looking today at a standard. There is a standard in the commission that is given to us, a standard for us to live by. In Matthew 28, and beginning with verse 18, and Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Now, some translations, I think some of the older ones use the word power. All power, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And we're, as we go through the commission today, we're going to break it down in, in small phrases and, and see what we can learn from it. But we begin with all authority. What does that entail? What does that tell us about this standard? All authority is in the possession of Christ Himself. When He gives a word or command, He possesses the authority to see that it is observed and followed by its recipients. We understand that we will be judged based on the standard issued to us by Jesus. In Matthew 25 and verses 31 through 33, Matthew 25 and beginning with verse 31, when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the holy angels with Him, then He will sit on the throne of His glory. All the nations will be gathered before Him and He will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats and He will set the sheep on His right hand but the goats on the left. We understand from this passage that Jesus will stand as judge. And it is He that will separate the sheep from the goats. The standard of judgment is the authoritative Word of God. And we are judged based upon our adherence to this standard. In 1 John chapter 2, Beginning with verse 17. 1 John 2, 17. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. In John 12, and beginning with verse 44. John 12, verse 44. Then Jesus cried out and said, He who believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And he who sees me sees him who sent me. I have come as a light into the world, that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. And if anyone hears my words and does not believe, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me gave me a command. What I should say and what I should speak. And I know that his command is everlasting life. Therefore, whatever I speak, just as the Father has told me, so I speak. So we understand that, that in His time on earth, Jesus spoke by the authority of God before He ascended 
back into heaven. All authority had been given to him. And we'll look at that in a moment. But Jesus provided the standard for all Christians to live by. In coming to earth, we see that he appointed the apostles. And they were sent with the commission to, uh, to teach those things that Jesus had taught them. And they did. And we follow the apostles' doctrine even today. But in coming to earth, we understand that Jesus brought with him the standard for us as Christians. All authority has been given to me. This authority does not come in an earthly manner. It doesn't come in a way that we might think of it. It doesn't come from a victory over a foe. We, we have often seen of nations being conquered by other nations. And so those other nations that, that are the conquerors, they become the authority for the people. That's not how, how Jesus' authority came. It wasn't because of a victory over a foe. And that was kind of what the Jews were expecting, wasn't it? They were expecting him to come with warfare. And even, even some of the disciples had trouble getting past that. But it didn't come because of victory over an earthly foe of any kind that we could imagine. It doesn't come because it was purchased. You know, some people have authority over others because they purchased that authority. Maybe they buy a business or something of that nature and they, they have authority over the workers in that business because they have bought it. They have purchased that authority. And it was not seized in any way. But the authority that is possessed within Christ was given to him. By whom? By God himself. The one with the authority to create the world by means of spoken word as, as we look in the book of Genesis. The one with the authority to eventually send Jesus to die for an otherwise lost humanity. The one with authority over all gave to his son authority over all things in heaven above and on the earth below us. In Ephesians chapter 1 verses 19 through 23 Ephesians chapter 1, and beginning with verse 19. And what is the exceeding greatness of His power toward us who believe according to the working of His mighty power, which He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead, and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might, and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And verse 22, And he put all things under his feet, and gave him to be head 
over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. In and through Christ, we are promised a standard to live by. We are promised that this standard will never change until earth has passed from existence. Now, through the, the fullness of time, we see that there were, were different ways that, that God would give His message to His people. And different ways that they were to serve Him. But we are in the last dispensation of time. We are in what we refer to as the Christian age. This is the final age of the world that we, that we know of. And in this final age, we are promised that the things that we are given will not change. We are warned of, of those that may come teaching a different gospel or a different message. And we are not to heed their teachings. We are to heed the teachings of God. And we know that the word that is given to us is His final word to us. And it will not change. As long as we live by the standard of the authority of God and the authority given to Christ, we will be judged based on whether or not we have lived according to this standard. Speaking of those who did not live up to the standard provided, in Matthew 25 and verse 46, Jesus says, And these will go away into everlasting punishment but the righteous into eternal life. So we are given a standard and it is up to us to live by the standard that is given to us. Picking up with verse 19 of Matthew 28, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. Here we read of a system. A system for us to work by. Uh, again, as we did with the, the other verse, let's break this down a little, little at a time. Go. Go therefore. The word go is a verb. It's an action word. It means that we are to do something. Christians must be constantly involved in seeking and saving the lost. It is not enough for us to send or support others in this effort. And it's necessary that we do that. And we do have missionaries that we support. Uh, we have different works that we support, and we've even been talking about how we support those in recent weeks. But it's not just about sending other people to do the work for us, because there's still a work for all of us to do. Every Christian has the ability to tell others about our Savior what He did for us, and what He expects of us now. We can tell others what is necessary for their salvation, 
by telling them what was necessary for our own salvation. It is imperative that if we become Christians that we know how we became Christians and why we became Christians. And it's important that we be able to tell others how and why we have become Christians. We all know those who are lost. That's a sobering thought. We all know at least one person that is not a child of God. Turn with me for a moment to Matthew 13. Let's begin reading at verse 3. Here we read of a parable. Here we read of the parable of the soil. Matthew 13 and verse 3. Then he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. Some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now something that I want us to observe from this passage, we we often look at the soils and the importance that is given to them, but there's something of even more importance that sometimes we miss. Did you notice that the sower went out to sow seed? It's a simple thing, but often we overlook the sower. The sower did something. Now, what if the sower didn't scatter the seed? What if, if he had decided, eh, maybe it's not the right time, or, or, or maybe I'll do it later? What if he didn't go out to scatter the seed? There wouldn't have been a crop at all. It wouldn't have fallen on good soil. It wouldn't have grown because the sower didn't go out to scatter the seed. That's where we come in as Christians. We have a duty to scatter the seed. And if we don't scatter the seed for whatever reason we may choose for not scattering the seed, the seed will not be scattered and... And we can't produce a crop. So we need to be like the sower in that he went out and scattered seed. We are to go. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. The gospel is not just for Americans. It's not just for the Jews as, as they were the, the first that were presented with the gospel message. It's not for any select nation exclusively. But the gospel was given also to Gentiles and to all nations. The gospel is for all. In Romans chapter 1, beginning with verse 16, 
Paul writes this to the Romans. Romans 1.16 For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. And so we are told in another form of this great commission in Mark 16 and verse 15, And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. The gospel is for all. By what system are the lost brought to Christianity? Obedience to the gospel through baptism for the remission of sins. Verse 19 of Matthew 28, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We are not to baptize in the name of any other than the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And the name of Jesus Christ is another way uh, that it is put elsewhere. We're not to baptize in any human name. We're not to baptize in... Uh, anyone else's authority. We baptize in the authority that is given to us by God. One who is baptized should know without doubt the one in whom he is baptized. In Acts 2 and verse 37, a familiar passage to us, on the day of Pentecost at the end of his sermon, Peter was asked, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And his answer in verse 38, Repent, let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises to you and to your children and to all who are far off as many as the Lord our God will call. In Christ is the promise of salvation through obedience and baptism to the Jews, to their children, to the Gentiles who had not yet heard the gospel message. I believe those were the ones that are referred to as those being afar off. But to all people this promise is given. Teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. Something that I've recognized in lessons past, I know, but there are some commands that are not meant for all to obey. And let me give you an illustration here. In Ephesians chapter 5, and beginning with verse 22, it says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. And in verse 25, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Now we notice in this passage that 
Husbands cannot follow the command that is given to wives. Husbands cannot submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. And in the same way with wives, they can't follow the command that is given to husbands to love your wives. It can't be done. These are not meant for all to obey. Ephesians 6, beginning with verse 1, says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with promise. Now, we are all children of parents, but some parents have passed on and are no longer here to honor in that way. We honor their memory, maybe. But again, this is not something that all necessarily obey in that regard. In 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 2, a bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach. Not all are to follow these things. Not all are given the commands that are given to elders. Uh, for instance, the husband of one wife. That's not a requirement for Christianity, but it is a requirement for elders. And it is reiterated in Titus chapter 1 and verse 6, If a man is blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of dissipation or insubordination, it's not a requirement for Christianity for us to have children. So you see that there are certain commands that not all are meant to obey. But, going back to the text of Matthew 28, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. We are to observe all commands. It doesn't matter what the command is or who it is given to. The commands of God are meant to be observed by all. We are able to know the truth, the sound doctrine, and to be able to share it with others. Preachers, for instance, need to teach all commands. Husbands, love your wives. Children, obey your parents and so forth. Timothy was given the command of, of how to establish an eldership. He was given those qualifications and he was to teach them so that the church would be able to establish elders. So we as preachers especially, those of us that teach others, we must observe these commands. All are commanded to observe the commands. Though not all commands are given for all people. We have been given a system of sharing the gospel and bringing the lost to Christ. Go into all the world preaching the gospel message. Baptizing the willing to obey in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching all to observe the commandments of God. This is the commission that is given to us. This is the system by which we work. We are to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. We are to baptize those who are willing to obey into the name of Christ. And we are to teach all to observe the commandments of God. And one final promise that we are given is a promise of success. 
When following the standard and system provided, Jesus' disciples are promised success in their mission. Though others previously had not been as successful, we think of, of those such as Noah. He was a preacher of righteousness, and yet he only saved his own family. We think of the prophets such as Jeremiah. And how many people actually followed the things that were spoken by him? Uh, unlike those that, that may not have been as successful, the apostles were promised success with the standard and system given to them. And this promise was fulfilled. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. Let's look at verses 21 through 23. Colossians 1, 21 and you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister." The same standard and system is what brought you and me to Christ. Now, does it promise us success in everyone that we try to convert? No. But it does promise success. And we are examples of success of the commission. Because all of us have been brought to a knowledge of God's Word to the point of obedience in baptism for the remission of our sins. We've become Christian. Now how are we promised success? By working together with God toward our common goal, saving the lost. In 1 Corinthians 3, verses 5 through 9, 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 5, Who then is Paul, and who is Apollos, but ministers through whom you believed, as the Lord gave to each one? I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. Verse 9, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. By working together with God and other disciples and spreading the gospel to the world, we are allowing God the opportunity to give the increase. But we have to work in partnership with God according to the way that He has set forth for us to work. Even in planting and watering, Christians by themselves do not control the soil and other elements. But God does. And He has promised to provide the increase on our behalf. He has promised to provide the increase. Is it right for us to expect success today? I believe the answer is absolutely. 
when following God's standard and system, we are promised success. You may not win the most souls to Christ, but if you try to teach in the way that God has set forth for us to teach, if you, you strive to follow the mission as it is given to us, God's Word will be successful in bringing the lost to Christ. And finally, there's one more promise that is found in Matthew 28. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age, or to the end of the world. Amen. These are more than words of comfort. These are words of promise. No matter the, the tests and the trials that, that we may face as followers of Christ, he has promised His presence with us whenever we may stand in need. Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have, for He Himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Not only are we promised His presence in life, but also in our transition from this life to eternity. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning with verse 15. 1 Thessalonians 4, 15. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. That's a promise. A promise for all of us as Christians. All of these promises are important in their own way. And I hope that we recognize their importance. I hope that, that we see something greater in our future than, than what we have seen maybe thus far. We are promised that Christ will return. And when He returns, we must be ready. Are you a Christian? Have you obeyed the gospel? Are you a faithful child of God? Maybe you need to come back. Maybe you need to ask for prayer on your behalf. Forgiveness for something that you've done. Maybe you realize that, that your repentance is not something that you can do on your own. You need help. And we'd be glad to help you. But as we always do, we, we offer the Lord's invitation to you. If you're in need of responding in any way, we ask that you would do so. As together we stand and as we sing. Thank <laughs> you.